You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. I remember like it was yesterday, my wife and I, my wife's name is Micah. We had been dating for about six months and um, I spent the whole afternoon preparing for this amazing date that we were gonna have. She was not at home uh, at the time. And so uh, I, I had gone to the store and bought her this really, really nice dress. And I, I bought 36 red roses. I wrote this amazing love story uh, and, and confessed my love, you know, on, on, in, in a love letter and took all of this and a few other gifts and took it to her house in her room and just kind of set it up beautifully, beautifully wrapped gift, all these great things, you know. And, and uh, so she comes home and finds this and I'd asked her to wear the dress. We, we had this amazing night planned, but she didn't really know what was gonna happen. And so I show up, you know, all dressed up and uh, get in the car, go to this restaurant. And as we're riding to the uh, restaurant, I had the best love mixtape rolling ever created. So we're going to the nicest restaurant in the city. It's in the tallest building in the city at the very top level overlooking the whole city, right? So we're sitting there, a little quiet table too, and it is just a phenomenal uh, romantic night. We eat dinner and at just the right moment after dinner, you know, I'm staring into her eyes, she's staring into my eyes, the moment is right. And I get up out of my chair and I bend down on one knee and I confess once again my love for her. I tell her that I asked her father for for her hand in marriage and I asked her to be my bride. And she looked at me and she said, can I get a dessert menu? No, she said yes. And, and, and it was December 23rd and it actually started to snow as I was proposing. And so it was on cue, man. It was phenomenal, right? And I thought, you know what? It is time to do a series on love, uh, dating, and sex at Foothills Church, right? And I told my wife this week, I was like, I'm really excited about this. I mean, you remember that night when I proposed to you? I was the man, right? Like, if anybody should be talking about this, it should be me, right? And, and she reminded me of a few things. <laughs> and she was like, yeah, you know, it was a great night. Um, let me just... Let me just ask you this, Trent. Have you bought me, since that night, have you bought me 36 roses again in one day? I was like, I guess, no, I haven't. I don't know if I've bought you 36 roses over the last 17 years combined, right? Uh, have we ever been back to that restaurant? No, we haven't been back to that restaurant. What about my love letters? My love letters, I would say, significantly have kind of tailed off. And by significantly, I mean zero. So yeah, she kind of humbled me there and she kind of reminded me of kind of, you know, kind of the reality that I think we all kind of experience in marriage. And it starts off really romantic. It starts off really intentional. It starts off, you know, really exciting. And, and then once we get married, it's, it's very easy for that to fall off. And so I just want to start by recognizing a truth in marriage. So all the married people here today and all the single people need to grasp this today and, and begin to kind of process this. And, and it's this, when in fact we do get married, the romance begins to die a slow death, if you're not careful. And as a result, the intimacy in your marriage will also begin to die. And so, I mean, I mean, the reality is all of us could attest to this if you're married for, for any number of days or months, right? 
Like, like we, we all are, are, are have experienced this. I mean, how many love letters are you writing? I mean, how many romantic date nights have you scheduled? Uh, how many, you know, love letters are you writing? And, and you look at all these things, and, and, and my guess is maybe you two have a similar story. When we first met our spouse, though, think about that day and think about that season of our life. I mean, we were, we were doing our best to convince her that we were awesome and that she should love us. We were loving, we were considerate, we were thoughtful, we were romantic. During the honeymoon phase, intimacy is easy. But then you fast forward life, and now all of a sudden you've got a demanding job, you've got new hobbies, kids are in the picture now, and they're busy, and that inevitably drives a wedge between you and your spouse, and slowly complacency begins to creep in. Intimacy then begins to fade. And the result is that there is no manse in the marriage. I think sometimes what happens when kids come into the picture is that the wife steps down from her number one role as a wife. And she begins to focus more on being a mom. And she's, you know, most of, most of you might be working as well. So you're juggling a career. You're juggling being a mom. Then the guy, inevitably, what he begins to face is after kids and all of this happens is, is that he begins to take his number one priority and position as a husband, and he begins to focus more on his career. And so as this begins to happen, couples become more and more separated. And if you're not careful, eventually you're more like two people who just share the same address. Your life is going in opposite directions she starts reading romance novels. She starts watching more romantic movies, fantasizing about how she wishes her life had that romance. And, 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 and she experienced that. He begins to surf the internet, maybe dating websites, maybe Facebook, maybe pornography. And he begins to fantasize about a life where there's a lot of sex, but there's no hassle. And inevitably, you're walking down a very dark and dangerous pathway that leads to more and more sin and further and further away from God. You throw in an attractive coworker, a little fatigue, a boring marriage, a lack of communication, and this, most importantly, no biblical framework for what marriage is and what sex was even created for. And the perfect storm is created. There's no intimacy in your marriage and you're on the verge of destruction. Both are miserable. Not to mention, this is what we're modeling to our kids as a healthy marriage. The reality is we all have a desire to be close to our spouse. We all have that desire uh, with our spouse, but somehow life just gets in the way. There are unresolved issues that we don't wanna talk about. There are real life responsibilities that we have to do and all of this affects our intimacy. And so I realize today that there are couples in the room that are on this path and you're on very thin ice. You might even say you're at the end of your rope relationally. Man, I'm glad you're here. And I've been praying for you specifically. And I think over the next few weeks, if you'll commit and you'll be here and you'll engage and you'll apply what we talk about, I believe God can heal and save your marriage. And, and there's another group of people in the room. You might not say you're on the verge of you know, splitting up or anything like that, but it's a pretty boring marriage. Intimacy in the physical you know, world is not too exciting for you. And, and at the end of the day, you are really busy and you are running around and, and you don't really connect with your spouse any longer. And I'm, I'm here and I'm hopeful and I'm prayerful that God will change your marriage as well. 
as we walk through this journey together. I think the question then becomes, all right, we know we're not where we wanna be. We know there's more, there's unresolved issues, there's all this stuff, what do we do? How do we get romance back in our marriage? How do we fix this thing? How do we, how do we experience something you know, more exciting? And, 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 and how do I fall in love with my spouse once again? Well, I think luckily the Bible speaks directly to this and the Bible has a lot of answers for us. And, and so I think I wanna start though, just by being clear that the Bible is very specific when it comes to marriage and when it comes to sex. And God's design for sex is that it's between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. And if you seek to experience it outside of marriage in any other way, it leads to dark, dangerous places filled with much regret and much shame. If you're single today, take really good notes. Um, it's gonna be good for you. It's also next week too, we're gonna talk about dating, courtship. It's gonna be great for single folks. It's gonna be great for, for even married folks. How do you date your spouse? Um, it's going to be great for parents who have kids that are probably, you know, as they get older, they want to date. So what do we do with that? We'll look at scripture and we'll talk about that. Week three, we're going to talk about what the Christian bedroom should actually experience. Yep, it's going to be really good. And then uh, week four, we're going to talk about how to overcome conflict in marriage. And so I hope you'll be here. I hope you'll commit. And to help guide us through this series, we're going to look at a, at a book in the Bible called The Song of Solomon. And so if you have your Bibles, Let's go ahead and turn there. It's really easy to find. Uh, just go to the middle of your Bible. You'll probably run into Psalms. Take a right. It's right after Proverbs. We're not going to go verse by verse through uh, the, the, the entire book, but we're going to go through sections of, of the book, and uh, we're going to cover uh, the, the, the main subjects, the main headings, and, and, and it's going to be, uh, I think, very, very helpful and enlightening. Well, the book itself, little, little context here. It's written by King Solomon. He's the second son of King David and Bathsheba. And he was the wisest. He was the richest king that Israel ever knew. And in, in this uh, whole entire book, we, we see him being the man of God that, that we as men seek to be. He owned so many vineyards. And one vineyard that he actually owned was in the northern part, close to Galilee, near the foothills of the Lebanon mountains. And while visiting the vineyard there, he runs into this woman that we know in the scripture as Shulamite. She's a country girl from the foothills of the mountains of Lebanon. Any men in the room fall in love with a country girl from the foothills? Anybody want to, okay. Some in the room would admit that. And so you're in good company with Solomon. And so he writes essentially a love song. It's the greatest love song the world has ever seen. As we look at this, we're gonna interpret it literally because I, I think that's how the scripture is intended for us to, to uh, experience it uh, in this book. And we also are gonna see that it's like the main message of the book is that it is, God is saying that sex is a gift and in fact, it should be enjoyed in the context of marriage. And so I know in our culture, we hear about you know, sexuality, we talk about sexuality all the time, we see it everywhere, but I would challenge you that we don't think about it deeply enough we think about it very selfishly and surface driven, and we don't think about the depth of what it actually means and what it symbolizes and why God created it. And so we're gonna to begin to uncover that a little bit today and throughout this series. And so if you have your Bibles open, uh, if not, it'll be on the screen. We're gonna start in chapter one, verse 15. Solomon says, behold, 
You are beautiful, my love. Behold, you are beautiful. Your eyes are doves. And she responds in verse 16, Behold, you are beautiful, my beloved, truly delightful. Our couch is green, but the beams of our house are cedar. Our rafters are pine. It kind of sounds like she's watching an episode of Fixer Upper. And, you know, we're, we were going to go with a brown couch, decided to go green, one of the exposed beams, all that jazz. Chapter two, I am a rose of Sharon, she says, a lily of the valleys. And he says, as a lily among brambles or thorns, so is my love among the young women. And she says, as an apple tree among the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples, for I am sick with love. His left hand is under my head, and his right hand embraces me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, that you stir, not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. I just want to share the main idea today, the main thrust, and I want to build off of this from this text today, and it, it is this. Romance only grows in the right environment. Romance, intimacy only grows in the right environment. So I want you to start thinking about your home today. What kind of environment have you created? What kind of home and environment and culture in your relationship have you created for you, your spouse, and your children? Um, I know this is the time of year where a lot of people start planting gardens and you're planting fruit or vegetables or whatever, or maybe you've been at Lowe's buying flowers or, you know, bushes or whatever it is you're, you're doing. I think Gardening 101 tells us, like when we go home and we start planting stuff, that there are a few key factors that we have to do right. I mean, when we plant a flower, when you plant a seed, you've got to plant it in the right kind of soil, right? It's got to be the right environment. It's got to have the right kind of sunlight. It's got to have the right kind of, 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 of the amount of water needs to be right. I mean, all of these things have to come into play in it, and it's all a result of the environment that we plant this plant. Now, the same can be said about intimacy in our marriage. If we want our intimacy to grow in our marriage, then we have to create the right environment. And we can't expect to have a great marriage and, and great intimacy and romance and all of these things in our marriage if we are not doing our part to create this environment. It makes sense, right? And so as we, we think today, as we look at this text, I'm going to give you three ways that are going to help grow that intimacy in your marriage. It's going to encourage you to facilitate and experience a healthier culture, a healthier environment. And when that begins to happen, your marriage, in fact, will experience more intimacy. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, is this. And this is really, really simple. But we've got to learn to praise our spouse. Learn to praise your spouse. Learn to lift her up. Learn to lift him up with your words. The first thing I would say is that we've got to give compliments. Give each other compliments. Look at verse 15. He says, behold, you're beautiful. He says it again. Behold, you're beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. And she responds, behold, you're beautiful. It's the same word just in the masculine gender. And she says, I truly delight in you. I mean, they are understanding that compliments and, and, and words of encouragement are fanning the flames of their love. They understand this. 
He tells his woman twice that he, he, he thinks that she is beautiful. And, and in chapter 1, verse 9, he calls her my love. In some translations, it says my darling. And he, so he's got this nickname for her, you know, complimenting her that you are my one and only. You are my true intimate relationship. You are my true love. And, and some of you would say, man, we have a, a nickname. And, and I'd like to hear someone. Somebody just tell me your nickname. for. I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. That'd be super awkward, wouldn't it? I had this assistant in my last church, and she called her husband Schmoopy. So like we'd be in a meeting, and he would call, and she'd be like, hi, Schmoopy. No, you're Schmoopy. And it would make me want to vomit in my mouth, right? <laughs> and they were Seinfeld fans. If you know Seinfeld, it kind of comes for that. But I'm not saying be annoying with your nicknames, but it is a term of endearment, right? When we create nicknames, when we call each other my darling, my love, this is a way that we are complimenting her and affirming that she is for us, that she is my one and only, that he is my one and only. And verses 16 and 17, she is even appreciating how he looks. Now, this is, this is uncommon, right? It, it, may be, it may be more common for the men to compliment our wives, but, but wives, are you complimenting your husband? And so I think for us, we're, we're, we're challenged on every front. Like, men, are you in fact complimenting the way that she looks? Are you complimenting her with words of encouragement? I think oftentimes what, what we see and what we experience is that a woman hears more negativity in how she is not pretty enough or, or is not good enough. And as a result, not only are we not complimenting and, and, and fostering that environment where intimacy will grow, we're actually killing it. So we got to think about our words. She says, our couch is green. Now, the, the, the couch is translated as bed or couch, or it, it can be either one. But essentially, she's not talking about a color, okay? She's talking about how this is a romance and intimacy in the bedroom that is actually going to produce fruit. It's going gonna, it's gonna to flourish. The NIV actually translates this uh, passage as lush with foliage. In other words, our bedroom, our bed is going to be lush with foliage, right? Ladies, go home and tell that to your husband and things will be, a good, it'll be a great day for him, right? It's going to be lush with foliage today, right? Why? Because out of that out of that environment, it, it will flourish, it will grow. And that's what she is saying. She's saying it will be pleasing. Notice the word our is used here in these first couple of verses that I read. It's our home. It's our love. You see, this is evidence that the two have in fact become one. It's not your side of the room, my side of the room. It's not your kids, my kids. It's not your bank account, my bank account. We have become in fact one. This is our home. This is our love. We are in fact one, I think some of you need to take this challenge, right? This is, this is a challenge. Some of you, God is speaking to you on this front, and you would just admit, man, I don't compliment her enough, and I would just admit that. And so I would challenge you to take the, the five-day-a-week compliment challenge. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> for seven days, for seven days, one full week, compliment her five times a day. Surely, out of 24 hours, you can think of five encouraging compliments to give to your spouse. And maybe together, you both just need to make that commitment and say, we're going to do this and we're going to commit to this because we need to change our culture. Our environment is in fact sandy rocks. It's not, it's, it's not good soil for romance to grow. And so we need to make some changes. Letter B, what I would say is not only do you give compliments to praise your spouse, but you also affirm your spouse's individuality. Affirm their individuality. 
instead of trying to make them something that they are not. Now, I caveat to make something that they're not. I don't want you to get that confused with kind of how our pop culture would uh, describe that. We all need to become more like Jesus, which means we all have to be changing. It, It frustrates me when I hear people say, he's trying to change me, she's trying to change you. Yes, you should be changing. If you're not changing and becoming more like Jesus, there is a problem. But at the same time, I think what we have to understand is we want to affirm our spouse's individuality. She is unique. She is special. You are unique as a man. You are special. This is what we see in verses one and two. She says, I'm a rose. I'm a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. In other words, what she's saying is, look, I'm special. She's confident in who she is. She's confident in her own beauty. She's confident in in, in the fact that she is a woman of God. And so she's not falling prey to the lie from the enemy that would say that you're not pretty anymore, you're not good enough anymore, or you don't measure up anymore. But as a woman of God, you're loved, you're cared for, you're chosen, and God adores you. And so men, we've got to affirm her individuality. We've got to affirm that she is in fact unique. She is a rose. She is a lily among the valley. Listen to what he says. He says, you're just not a lily among the valleys. You're a lily among the brambles. In other words, you're a lily. You're a flower among the thorns. So you're not just one in a million. You're one of a million. I wanted you. You are unique. You are special. And I want you. I love you. I mean, think about it. What would your marriage look like if your wife felt that way, man, you think, the, you think the lush foliage would start to grow? I believe that it would, right? We've got to make some changes in, 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 in how we use our words and, and how we think through what, in fact, our, our wife needs and what she desires. Look next at verse 3 where she says, you're an apple tree among the trees of the forest. Now, the reason why that's important is she is, in fact, affirming his individuality as well. Because in a forest where all the trees are the same, she recognizes him as an apple tree. In other words, it is something that is unique. All the other people, all the other men, all the other dudes out there, I saw you. You were unique. You were different. And I loved it. I enjoy it. I want and desire that. She affirms his individuality. In uh, Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. What great advice and and what a great command for us in our marriage to let our speech always be gracious, gracious with compliments, gracious with encouraging our spouse's individuality. Do they hear more criticism from you or do they hear affirmation from you? Do they hear compliments from you? I think it's a challenge we all have to embrace. Letter C, I would say, ladies, appreciate how he protects you. And men, if you're not protecting her, then, then, then it's time for us to make a change here. Look at verse three. She says that, in, uh, so, uh, so is my beloved among the young men. And she says, with great delight. In other words, she enjoys this. I sit or I sat in his shadow and his fruit was sweet to my taste. Sitting in his shadow means that she's appreciating his protection. She finds in him great delight, and she loves to sit in his shade, which means that he is comforting her, that she feels safe uh, with him, that she feels secure with him, and it's, and, and it's a place of comfort for her. Listen, men, 
Women need to know that they are safe. They need to feel safe and secure. And so it's part of our role as the spiritual leaders of the home to ensure that financially she feels secure. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be a millionaire or it doesn't mean that you've got to have, you know, two, three, four. What it means is financially secure. In other words, you're a good steward of the resources that you have. Now, granted, a lot of you ladies are contributing, men are contributing financially to the marriage. And so, so you're both contributing, and yet there is a need in a woman to feel safe financially. That's why when a man loses his job or, or financially things are, you know, stressful, a, a woman can become very, you know, stressed out, you know, and I know that is true for the man as well, but it's just a deep need for a woman. And so uh, we want to provide that. A woman needs to feel safe emotionally so that men were able to say, honey, you can share your heart. Tell me what's going on inside of you. And she's not afraid that you're going to criticize her or she's not a, a afraid that you're just going to berate her or, or, or talk badly about her. But you've created an environment where, babe, you can share your heart, share your feelings. Don't, don't hold back. Don't, don't hold that in. She needs to feel that environment where she is safe and, and yes, physically safe as well. And so this is directly, I think, what she speaks to when she's, when, when she's saying that the that her house is, has uh, beams of cedar and rafters of pine. What she's saying is our house is firm. He's saying our house is secure. Our love is strong and it's not gonna fall apart. And so it's built upon their commitment and love for one another. And she does say that your fruit is sweet to my taste. So the language isn't inappropriate. They are uh, married and it's not lewd or out of bounds, but it is very highly um, erotic in nature. She says, what I find in him I like. What I taste, what I smell, what I feel is very good. And it causes me a lot of joy and I want more of it. And so men, I think Solomon is taking showers here. <laughs> he's shaving. He's, he's putting on a different pair of, you know, underwear every day, I guess. And he's wearing, you know, uh, halfway decent clothes. And, and so, you know, teach your sons to sh take showers and shave and not look like a hobo, right? And, and I think we'll be well on our way. Letter D, she publicly communicates her affection and he is publicly communicating his affection. Look at verse four again. He brought me to the banqueting house or literally the house of wine. Earlier in chapter one, wine is symbolizing this intoxicating love that is making their heads spin. And so she's saying, he, he has brought me into this intoxicating head spinning relationship. And she says this, his banner over me was love. His banner over me was love. He's publicly saying, and she is publicly receiving him as her lover and her man. And he is saying, she is my woman. In, that, in the ancient Near East, when they would go into battle, they would have a huge banner that, would, that they would walk under and they would put the name of their God on the banner. And so it was symbolizing that, hey, this is who we are fighting for. This is who we worship and who we serve. And, and so symbolically, this banner of love over her is him saying that you are mine. I love you. I am publicly declaring that I am devoted to you. And she is receiving that as a gift from him for all the world to see. Next, we see that she is affectionately receiving his touch and he is affectionately giving touch. Look at verse five. She says, sustain me with raisins, refresh me with apples for I am sick with love. In other words, man, she needs to be refreshed because it's been a long night. And she says in verse six, his left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. 
And this is a tender, affectionate, you know, touch coming from her husband to a wife and to a woman. And I would say, man, it's not only about the final finale, right? Like, are we holding hands? How are we displaying our affection with our spouse? Do we put our arm around our spouse? Does she know that this caring hand is, is, is here to support and to love her? And, and, and I think that is a very appropriate step for spouses, uh, you know, to be able to do. Affectionate touch is huge. And then in verse 7, she warns all the single people in the room. She says, not to stir up or awaken love until it pleases. In other words, you cannot rush this intoxicating emotion. You cannot manufacture this love. Don't take it lightly. Don't force it. Don't pretend like you can have it with somebody that you're dating because you cannot. It's an impossibility to experience this outside of committing your love to God and your love to this person and in the covenant of marriage. So don't pretend like you can because you cannot. Secondly, I would say we're talking about romance growing in the right environment. We got to praise our spouse. But secondly, I would encourage you to learn to do the unexpected. Learn to do the unexpected. I mean, example after example, as you read this book, you see Solomon doing things that you wouldn't expect a man to do. Like, this is good stuff. You definitely don't expect some of, the, some of the things that Shulamite does. It's like, whoa, didn't see that. And I definitely didn't expect God to write an entire book on sex. Like that, whoa, inspired by God, didn't expect that. Very grateful that it's actually in fact here. And so I think for us, what we learn from this is that we've got to begin to do things that are unexpected. Because the, the enemy against romance in your marriage is routine. It's the mundane. You do the same thing over and over and over and over again. Same, same night of the week you go out on date night, same restaurant, same, you know, kind of date, same, you know, you know, deal in the bedroom. Everything's the same and it's no wonder it's getting boring. Women love Romance, they love that affection that they experience in romance. And, and, and every time I say romance, some of the men in the room can't stop thinking about Tony Romo because it's like, that's where our brain goes. Didn't he retire from the Cowboys? Not, not thinking, we're thinking romance for our spouse, right? And she needs this, she needs to experience this. And, 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 and the routine sometimes and oftentimes ruins it. So for many men, any move towards romance is going to be unexpected for your wife. I mean, any move at all, compliments, you know, date nights, it's going to move in the right direction. I think ladies can help create this environment as well by doing the unexpected. I mean, an unexpected shoulder rub, an, an unexpected date night, an unexpected gift. These are ways to begin to spice things back up in your marriage. And, and, and I think for women to physically contact your husband in an appropriate way would be unexpected in a lot of the marriages in this room. And I encourage you to do that. If you want to get out of the rut, you've got to start doing the unexpected. Thirdly and finally, We've got to take the initiative. We've got to take the initiative. Now, men, we'll start with you. I mean, we see Solomon taking the initiative all the way through this book. He's pursuing this woman. He's marrying this woman. He's providing a home and providing everything for her. And this love, we also see that she is initiating a lot of this love as well. 
And so it's so vitally important, men, that you take the lead on this, but you've got to be more intentional with your wife. Now, when you started dating, chances are you're the one that asked her out on a date. Chances are you actually planned the date. You, you know, went out and you did the thing and you kind of planned the whole deal. And what you forgot about is that planning the, the, the date is part of romancing her. And that's, those are some of the things that she actually appreciates. But, but then we get married and we stop planning. Date night becomes this routine of, okay, we got the kids settled, we're in the car and we're on our way to do something, but we don't know what we're going to do. So we have this conversation. Have you had this? What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Doesn't matter to me. Well, let's go eat. Okay, where do you want to go eat? I don't know. I mean, how boring is that, right? Let me check my Vandango app and see if there's a movie. Ooh, I found a coupon, right? We can go to our favorite restaurant, get a free appetizer, if we get there by five o'clock. Go! Five o'clock. Are you kidding me? We can do so much better, right? We can do so much better. But we fall into this, like, like you know, our romantic game is not only dying, it's dead. And it's like, it's a, it's a uniform, you know? It's kind of like your old uniform that you retired, you know? It's like, I had this romance uniform and, and I'm gonna retire it now that I'm married. And I, I put it in a glass box and I put it next to the wedding pictures and we reminisce about it, right? And you go, hey, honey, look at that. Remember what I used to do? So romantic, you know? That's my romance game up there. We're married now, so I don't need to do that. But back in the day, I was the man, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, we, romance box checked, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, don't have to do that anymore. And it's no wonder, you know, we struggle. It's no wonder that, you know, we're, nothing's exciting in your marriage any longer because you stopped trying. What you did to romance her, to get her, is what you have to do to keep her. And so we've got to be smacked in the face with some of this truth and understand that our love and, and, and our romance is a, is a direct, you know, uh, byproduct of speaking love and affirmation and, you know, complimenting and taking initiative. Now listen, men have to take the initiative, but ladies, don't sit back and, and, and let your marriage just die, right? Like I encourage you, make yourself available. Make sure you're intentional when it comes to physical touch. Often a husband pursues, wife runs. She's like on a duck hunt. As soon as the question is posed, the shoots him down, right? But if you're saying no, 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 you're breaking fellowship with your brother in Christ. Now, I know there's some unresolved issues, perhaps. I know that there's some things to work on, but this is why communication is so important. Understand your husband's sex drive. And if you, if you haven't talked about it, then how will you know? His is gonna be different than yours, most likely. So what is your expectation? What, what would you like to see? And then we, you know, we come together with an understanding that this is kind of the direction that we're going to move in. But we talk about it and we don't just argue and fight about it. But all of these things are part of growing an environment Sometimes we just want kind of the, we want the bedroom, we want the physical touch, but, but we don't want to do anything else. And so it's not, it's not an either or, it's, it's a very delicate combination of everything. And, and it all boils down to our love for our spouse. And here's why this is so important. Get this, and I hope we get this throughout the series, is that the romance grows in the right environment and the right environment points you to Jesus. That's why we have to get our romance right. That's why we have to get our intimacy right. 
Because when your intimacy is right with your spouse, it will point you to Jesus. In fact, Solomon is a picture of the coming Messiah. Solomon is a symbol of the one who is greater than he is. Jesus is coming for his bride. His bride is the church. His church are his people, you and me. And just like Solomon is, is coming, finding his bride utterly delightful and providing for her. He shades her and sustains her with comfort and provision. And he invites her into a house of love. And his loving embrace is undeniable evidence that his love is secure and that he is devoted to us. And in exactly the same way, Jesus is delighting in you. He is providing eternal security for you. His devotion to you is undeniable. The bride says to her shepherd king that she delights to sit in his shade and eat the fruit sweet. It is, it is good tasting. and The bride finds rest and security in her husband. But the one who is greater than Solomon has come as our king. And he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Christ, we find this security. We find this delight. We find this provision. We find this love. And we find in Christ a marriage filled with intimacy and love and forgiveness and hope and care in every other romantic image you can envision. But it only comes in a home that is dedicated to the Lord Jesus. In fact, it is impossible for you to experience this outside of his provision and love. And I'm telling you today, there are people that think, man, if I could just leave my wife and start all over again, things would be better. But the reality is it will not because you are taking the same problems, the same attitude, and the same sin in your heart with you. And you're just gonna be lonely now. And if you try to pursue, not only is that unbiblical, but it's never going to provide the love and the security that you so desire. So, some homework. Just like class, I'm going to give you some homework all throughout this series because we've got to apply it, right? We can hear it, sounds good, got to apply it. So the first thing that I would say is if you need to take the seven-day compliment your spouse, whatever I said earlier, take that. But secondly, go on a date. No kids, no double date, by the way. Double date is great for college students, but by the time a, a grown man and woman can finally go out on a date, don't, don't double date. I mean, it's great supplemental, but let's just be honest. You go on a date once a month, if you're lucky, and if you go with another couple, the dudes are gonna talk the whole time, the ladies are gonna talk the whole time. You need one-on-one -on -one conversation and time with your spouse to grow this and, and flourish this environment, right? So, so I will, I, my challenge for you is to take the compliment challenge, but then also to go on a date, plan a date, yeah, we're busy. Okay, plan a date. Look down the road. Some of you guys are administratively challenged. I know, but you're gonna have to take the initiative. Look at the calendar where our kids are doing this. Then quick the team. Miss a game. Your number one priority is your spouse. No one else. If that is not going well, you are not being faithful to your Savior. 
No work. No game. Not even your children should come above your spouse. Do not fail Jesus in the stewardship of leading your wife, men. This is a high calling and a covenant that you promise to her and to him. So the only way you're going to begin to flourish this after everything that we've said today is is beginning to spend time with her, communicating with her. Go on a date. And here's the last thing that I'm going to say. This is, in fact, take out your cell phones now, and you can even begin to do this now as we close. But I really want to know where everyone is at on this intimacy evaluation. So what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to ask you to fill this out. I think it's going to come up on the screen. Go ahead and put it up. We want you to text um, uh, FC Marriage to 555-888. If you send that text, and it's just FC Marriage, and you send it to the number 555-888, it's going to send you a link. Click on that link. There are five, I think, quick questions. Please fill that out. It's going to help me in uh, the coming days as we talk about intimacy. You don't have to put your name on it, so it's not like you've got to cheat or anything. <laughs> and, and, you know, here's what it's also going to do. It's going to give you a topic of conversation with your spouse. It's going to give you an opportunity to, hey, what did you score? Or what did you write here? And that's going to give you something to talk about with them as you move forward this week. And so creating the romance just absolutely demands that we are in and creating the right environment. So I hope you'll come back as we continue to go through this book. Let me pray for you. Father, we are grateful for your word and for your truth. And God, when we read it, we're, I mean, I'm just blown away by the truth that you've, you share with us, especially in the Song of Solomon. And God, our culture robs us of a vision for healthy sexuality in our marriage. And our sin oftentimes damages our thinking on what it should look like and and how it should be experienced. And so God, there there are a lot of uh, just guilt. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of unresolved issues, God, that we've got to deal with. We know that your spirit is going to heal us from as we pursue you. Most importantly, Lord, I just pray for those marriages that are struggling today. I pray that by your grace, you would strengthen them. You would give them hope. God, that you would allow them to see how your gospel and your power can, in fact, bring change in their life. And we're praying that this will happen. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.